out the sounds of uh, raptor claws tapping on the ground. (laughs) Hello, friends, and welcome once more to After the Movie. My name is Erica. Across from me, as always, is Bob. Yo. And uh, we had so much fun doing our overindulgent Pacific Rim episode that we decided to bring you another overindulgent episode. Mm-hmm. Another of the God tears. Bob, how many times have you seen Jurassic Park? So many times. You've blown out DVDs and like tapes and shit, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've I've bought Jurassic Park at least five times. Now we have told many a story about Jurassic Park on this podcast, so we'll try not to repeat stuff. Because we thought we never really would do these overindulgent episodes, but we got a lot to say, so we figured, fuck it, we'll do it anyway. You guys can't tell us what to do. We'll do whatever the fuck we want. And we got a lot to say. So, here we are. Another overindulgent episode <laughs> on Jurassic Park. We need, like, separate music for overindulgent episodes. We do. Well, we could potentially have some new music coming. We could. So maybe that's that's a thought there. Good. Yep. I'm down. Yep. I mean, we could always just use the, the music from the movie, but then you're going to get copyright struck, and I'm not really about that life. Bob, can I tell you, before we get started, what struck me as I was watching this? I'm terrified. So we're sitting there, and as you all know, I have been in uh, the throes of the uh, Pacific Rim fandom. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and I'm like, struck with something. How, and it's entirely possible it's written, and it's out there, and I just haven't found it yet. If there's not a Jurassic Park AU fanfic for Pacific Rim, we have failed as a species. What is AU? Alternate universe. Oh. There's a lot of that in the fandoms. Mm. Okay. Coffee shop AUs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I love a good coffee shop AU about. Yeah. It's tasty. Gotcha. Also, you don't have Newton Geisler without Ian Malcolm. So, let's talk about the movie that we just watched. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. So, uh, do we want to... Uh, Bob, What? We'll, we'll start with this. Mm-hmm. Bob, what does this movie mean to you? Uh, to me, Jurassic Park is the epitome of the summer blockbuster. and um, Well, and also probably one of the first you saw as a chibi young man back in 93. Oh, yeah. Did you want eight? Right? Math. Yes. Depending on when it came out. Yeah. Around eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, still pretty young. Um, what what Jurassic Park gets right better than almost any movie I've seen since is that sense of wonder. Um, and that, you know, that, that scene. Which we have talked about on this podcast before, but mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it again today. Of course. To well, me, th- no, let's talk about Jurassic Park and ignore that scene. Let's talk about everything else in Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, 
No, but the scene with uh, where the jeeps come over the hill, or you see a proper dinosaur for the first time in right. all of its glory, uh, all of its CG glory in the sunlight. Can we talk about how the CG in this movie still looks fucking good twenty six years later? Yeah, crazy. And there Even- are movies that I have seen like in the last couple months where it's like the CG looks fucking terrible. Even upscaled to 4K. It looks beautiful. Yeah, you know, it still looks great. And, um, you know, in with Jurassic Park, I think, they, I think they said, like, total in the movie, there's only four minutes and 11 seconds. But you think of it of CG. as a effects-heavy movie. Yeah. But they're using puppets a lot yeah. when it pertains to the dinosaurs. Um, so you use... It's the illusion of the of using more CG, but you know that's the thing about this movie is that scene sets up the entire movie, and it 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 is the foundation of the premise, which is that you can let your fascination and your awe struckness lead you down dangerous path hubris and well and we see that a lot in this movie yeah well it's the whole movie <laughs> oh no no i'm saying not just in like the main plot but one thing i noticed on this watch through and this is a movie we have watched a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll say but there's that part where they're uh it's muldoon uh sadler and they just picked up malcolm and they're driving back and the t-rex is chasing them mm-hmm. and they get away and they got the camera on Muldoon, and you see this little smirk. And he's like, got away. Yep. Okay, he's riding that high. So then he's like with Ellie later in the movie, at where they're going to uh, go find out what happened to um, Mr. Arnold. Also, do you notice I'm remembering character names? Oh, yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? Kind of crazy. It's a weird thing. He's like, he doesn't go with her to the bunker where he probably would have been fine. He's like, I'm a big game hunter from the fucking park down in Kenya. I got this shit. I got my hat. I got my vest. (laughs) Don't worry, babe. You go. I got it. At least he respects what kills him, though. Clever Clever girl is one of the greatest lines in cinema history. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And that, and that's the thing about this movie. Like, there's so many big scenes, um, and there aren't a ton of uh, big lines in the movie, but there's a fair amount. Um, well, what I really appreciate is, outside of a couple, no real estate is really wasted, mm-hmm. especially in those first twenty minutes. You are on that island within the first 20 minutes of this movie. And that's a beautiful fucking thing. Yeah. Um, Well, I was thinking about this as as we were watching it, and I'm like, I can't think of anything in this movie I would really cut. I was thinking of that too, and the only thing that, like, maybe I would cut is with the kids and Grant up in the tree with the, uh, was it the Brachiosaurus? Mm Mm-hmm. That, it's... I get it. I get why it's there, but if you were, but you're not pressed for time with this movie. No, this movie isn't like you're not sitting there like. And this movie, end. this movie is over two hours, but it doesn't feel like it. Oh no, because you're moving the entire time. It's very yeah. well paced, mm-hmm. I think. Oh yeah, well, and 
you so you've got good pacing. You've got a pretty straightforward story. Well, what do we always say? What have we always said on this show? Keep it simple. Yep. Especially when you're going into like sci-fi weirdness. Mm-hmm. It does you don't need to be overly complicated. If you try to do too much, that this is the difference between Pacific Rim and Pacific Rim Uprising. It's fairly simple premise, not a ton going on. You got enough Don't fucking laugh at me. This is a good analogy. Fuck you. Pacific Rim Uprising, you got way too much shit going on and it just kind of collapses in on itself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happened in the Lost World as well. Well, then they like completely changed the character of Ian Malcolm. It's like... There's, there's a number of things that are wrong with the Lost World, but uh, that, uh, the the fact that they overcomplicated it um, was a big part of it. Oh, yeah. And they did that so they could get Vince Vaughn in there and... For reasons. Uh, you know, it just got to be so overly convoluted. Well, I know you say you can watch that movie, but before we went and saw uh, Jurassic World, the first one, I think I we watched it, and mm. I was just like, this is kind of unwatchable. It's all for the shiffening. Thank you, boys, over at We Hate Movies for that <laughs> name. Because it's so perfect. But uh, that's also a great episode of that podcast. But um, go listen to it. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's 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 just bad. I don't understand what movies with Mikey sees in it. I don't either. I don't either. Because uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's not good. No. It's nigh unwatchable. Yes. You know, it's maybe got some decent parts, like uh, Pete Postlethwaite as the Muldoon role. Mm-hmm. You know, he's pretty, like, interesting and kind of cool and... In what little he is given to do, mm-hmm. but well, it's so funny because when now I know you're not a huge fan of the books, you don't like Michael Crichton's writing style. Well, I, should, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I've read a lot. I've read a fair amount of Michael Crichton, um, and I've enjoyed his. I mean, it's been a while since I've read one, but like Airframe, I really like Airframe. I thought Timeline was a good book. Um, yeah, I've read a fair amount of Michael Crichton. I just read Jurassic Park around like when the movie came out as a kid, mm-hmm. and then I read it when you got that uh, special edition mm-hmm. from some very sweet woman for Christmas one year, and I was just like, "This is kind of garbage." <laughs> <laughs> but I also agree to disagree. I also think though that's because I have seen the movie fifty thousand times, and I just think the movie is vastly superior. Well, to it's interesting because what they changed from the book to the movie is pretty much net positives mm-hmm. the whole way. I mean, um, they they completely changed the character of John Hammond, which if John Hammond isn't um, charismatic in this movie... Well, and like the sweet old grandpa, you have to sympathize with him. You can't immediately be like, oh, fuck this guy. Right. And I think they do a really good job of that in introducing him. Mm-hmm. Like his intro scene is is also perfect because it's shows him to be kind of oblivious and not really looking at like the forest for the trees as he brings the helicopter down to a fucking dig site. Mm-hmm. But then he's like this jovial, like, Oh yeah, I'll fully fund your dig for an extra three years. All you got to do is like come down to this, this Island. Oh, let's have champagne. Let's like, yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be great. Right. And you could argue he's whining and dining them cause he wants them on his side, but 
he doesn't come across as some like because he's like a capitalist fucking douchebag in the book, isn't he? Yeah, I mean the way they they make him in the movie is he truly believes in what he's doing. What he's doing. Right. Um, he just he gets caught up in that and he doesn't see, you know, the danger, the danger and the issues that are staring him right in the face. Right. So th- I mean that's that's the biggest departure from the book in terms of characters. Um, and then, of course, the change to the ending um, to bring the T-Rex back, which was largely... Oh, you need that moment, Bob. We, pay, need that big we built moment. this gigantic T-Rex we're animatronic. using it again. It's uh, got all fucked up in the rain, but God damn it, we're using it. Well, that ending's perfect. It's great. It's big oh, and stupid. It's big and dumb, and when the banner falls... Oh, God. Oh, it's the best. It's, like, it's just so, like, stuck. I love Spielberg sometimes. <laughs> I really do. Um, but, uh, you know, it just it hits all those beats. It gives you that mom- that big moment of childlike wonder. And then it jumps into... Because it, it turns pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Right after that. Um, to, um, to suspicion. And then, well, because you get them sitting at that dinner, and they're all kind of like they start thinking, and like Malcolm starts going in, and then Ellie and uh, Alan are like, I mean, yeah, he's got some really good points, you know, like right. maybe we're not gonna be saying you're raping the natural world like Malcolm does, because he's a big dramatic bitch, but and we love him for it. It's it's more no, maybe we gotta think this through a little more and then as they're going through the park and you're not getting any dinosaurs it's just kind of like okay this is just kind of a bust and then it's you're thrown into the horror of the situation can we talk about the biggest failing of the jurassic park franchise is that they didn't ultimately end up um with the ellie sadler ian malcolm ship that could have been if they weren't going to put her with Grant Are in the end. You, oh, oh, you mean in the third movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've actually never sat through the entire third movie because... It's garbage. Because I believe in true love. But you can't have an arc like that in the first movie where the entire point is like him building up to like wanting kids and becoming, oh, they o- totally f- yeah. becoming okay with that. And then in the third movie, you're like, yeah, let's not do that. It's like... What? Why are you pissing in the face of your of of the first movie? And also, Bob, I guarantee fucking to you, there is so much fan fiction of Sadler and Malcolm fucking. I I paid particularly close attention to the gold blooming uh, throughout the movie so this wonderful. time, and the one thing I I never had caught before is when they're in the they're in the car and he actually like grabs her hair oh i love that yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. he's like he's he's leaning in hard <laughs> um and she's got the good scully glasses you gotta have the scully glasses it was the, the 90s. early 90s exactly very yeah. important they've all got great glasses on it's wonderful do you know what sam neil's actual first name is no nigel i love sam he's great <laughs> Perfect in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm curious why 
what the story behind him not coming back for the sec- the sequel is. Well, I mean, he wasn't in uh, the Doctor Grant wasn't written into the book at all. Yes, but we know that the book was because Steven Spielberg walked up to Michael Crichton's house and was like, "I need you to write a sequel." So yeah, can you do that for me? I I think it was that everyone loved Malcolm. They wanted more Malcolm. Too much of a good thing, though. Yeah, well, and you and he's he, he not wasn't the same character at all. No, and you can argue that everything that he's gone through in the first movie fucked him up. But it was like, okay, now he's trying to just be like some tough dude trying to get his girlfriend back. Like, it's not. No, it didn't work. I don't want to fucking watch that. He's so great in this one, though. He is. He's perfect. Everything about him in this movie is great. And I must say, the scene in 4K with the shirt wide open. I posted that on on Twitter. It was like in glorious 4K with the gif. You can see like the sweat beads on his chest. Oh, that's why you hired him for that shot. And that's why he took the role. He was like, we're going to do this, right? That was written in the script. Spielberg was like, if we're getting fucking Jeff Goldblum, we're getting Jeff Goldblum. All right. All right. Best villain casting decision of all time? Newman? So I could... I I mean, so here's... Our, I, really, there's no one in this movie I could see cast... As someone else? As someone else. Um... You know, I could certainly stretch it to think of some of the characters, but for the main cast, well, I can't. It's hard to say main cast because there really aren't that many characters in the movie. No um, main cast though; it's the main players. Yeah, but um, you know, you could probably pretty easily recast Mr. Arnold as someone else. Um, eh, I like seeing Sammy J in there. Oh, me too. I just I feel like and that. They probably could have been farmed if they wanted, but Newman. I mean, you could make the argument that Muldoon could have been cast by somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what's his name, Bob Peck, is perfect. perfect. He's wonderful. Uh, Newman is choice, though. Wayne Knight, that's inspired casting. It was so perfect. Yeah. It's just utterly perfect. Because the first time you see him when he's waving at dots, and you're just like, Newman, the embodiment of all that is evil. Because I mean, everyone was watching Seinfeld in the 90s. Yes. And I mean, there's plenty of uh, old, gray, British dudes out there. Uh, but I, I think Richard Attenborough's cadence was perfect for well, the Well, and role. you need, he's like this, the energy. this adorable, cute little grandpa, too. And you needed that for this. Right. For the way they played the character. Mm-hmm. Um... Sam Neill is Dr. Grant. Correct. I yeah, l- no, I literally no. can't picture anyone else in that role. Yeah. Um, same That's why it was so Durham. crazy when you go and you watch Event Horizon. You're like, what is Dr. Grant doing? Yeah. Oh, no, Laura Dern is perfect as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Even the kids. The kids are like, to make children tolerable in a film is, a, is, is an achievement. It is. In and of itself, because we again have seen other movies where they're and they're there for a reason. You have children for a reason in this movie. Yeah, we have watched other movies where there are children for no reason, and it's like every single Jurassic Park sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
no reason for kids in any of them. No. Not at all. I mean, I know why they're there. Objectively, I know why they're there. But it, it just doesn't... Like, this, it makes narrative sense. Yes. Because it's, again, it's Hammond not seeing the forest for the trees. Everything's perfectly safe. They don't even have locks on, like, the doors that they take people out in the park in. In the cars. Like, dude, what the fuck? You don't think people are going to try and get out? Like, that should be the first thing. But it, it is that, that hubris where it's, oh, yeah, I'm... I designed it. We spared no expense. Everything's awesome. Well, there is there is the other side of it too, though, where it's not just I think everything's fine, but hey, if I'm willing to throw my grandkids on this tour, see how safe it is, no, insurance also guy. That, right, exactly. Though insurance guy, blood sucking lawyer, is down with the sickness from jump. Yeah. As soon as he gets there, he's like. You can see, like, as soon as Malcolm starts shitting on it. He's like, shut, shut up. up. I want all of the money. All of the money. We can charge whatever we want. 2000 a day, 10000 a day. And people will pay it. Uh, we'll have, like, a coupon, coupon day. day. <laughs> now, Bob, could you recite this movie verbatim from uh, from memory? Uh, I... I I'm inclined to think you could. I'm. I probably could get disturbingly close. Okay, we may have to do that someday, just to see. One other little like this. This movie's so good with just like the little moments that inform the characters. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about Hammond's appearance in the helicopter or in that initial helicopter scene at the dig site. I mean, you got a lot at the dig site that's just absolutely well, outstanding. I think. I think. That's the interesting thing about this movie is, you know, there's plenty of big popcorn movies that really could give a shit about developing their characters. You know what's really important, Bob, is those gifable moments, like a subtle head shake or someone tying up a, a seatbelt, mm-hmm. showing they're resourceful. Yes. Or a head shake. Showing very exasperated fondness for your lab partner. I'll stop. I'm sorry. No, you're not. I'm not going to, and I'm not sorry at all. You can all go fuck yourselves. I love that gif. I use it way too much. Um, but no, no, no. That that scene in the helicopter where it's okay, we're we're landing and it's shaky, and they're trying to. Everybody else gets their seatbelt on, mm-hmm. but Grant pulls it up. It's the two uh, two same. Ends, two female ends. Two female ends. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got it. Tie it up. Gives Ellie that look like, yeah, I got it. Meanwhile, Ellie's stuck without a seatbelt because he took her, her end. She looked like she was good, though. <laughs> uh, I will say there was some fun stuff at the beginning of the movie um, in the trailer. And I, I think. Oh, you mean the very, very first scene? Hmm? The very first scene? No, no, no. This is when they're um, in the bad. Oh, oh, oh! I, I got you. Okay. The some of the stuff that's hanging on the walls in there is pretty great. Um, well, this the the uh, set design in this movie is outstanding. I think. Well, and I I think this is one of those places where the 4K shines through, um, where you can really pull details out of the background, and because it just sharpens things up. Just a, a tough, a titch more to the point that you can actually you can see stuff, see stuff, and like there were like two alien-related things on the ba- on, on one on the fridge and 
Dinosaurs on Mars, I think, was one of them. So that was that was very enjoyable. I mean, Ellie did have Dana Scully glasses on. She did. Maybe they're distant relations. Um, uh, I enjoy the uh, through line of computers hate Dr. Grant. Yes. Because I, I noticed it in this movie, at, right after the raptor, ha- or this viewing, I should say. After the raptor hatches, and he's holding the egg... The machine comes up and steals the. It's like, yeah, no, motherfucker. Yep. And the look on his face, he holds it for a solid like ten seconds. He's just looking at it like. There's a he has fuck you. He has a lot of really good looks. Oh, that he sure. holds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout the movie, um, in different places. Well, what I appreciate about that is that they're still talking about other stuff. That's just such a background thing. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it, it's so it, it's great for the character. I loved it. Now there's there's one thing I noticed uh, in this viewing that I hadn't before is that, um, in the in that Keystone scene at the beginning with the uh, Brachiosaurus, um, before Grant ever sits on the ground, he has stains on his pants. Yes, um, which could tell you one of two things. Uh, one, they filmed that scene many times, and that ki- that take was after he had soiled his pants. Um, <laughs> literally, he got soil on his pants. Um, or, and I kind of like this more, is that he's just a grungy guy from Montana. Oh no, yeah, they're and they're just, just his they're pants just are just dirty. Yeah, and he doesn't give a fuck. Right. Well, I don't give a shit. Whatever. Oh, shit eating kid. I love shit eating kids so much. <laughs> oh my What's god! What's that kid doing now? I don't know. He's doing something though, because he was in he was in stuff. He's been in other things. And if he's a, a little upset, if he's not credited as sh- shit eating kid, shit eating kid, and all of the extras in that scene. Oh, that is the most '90s scene to ever '90s. That one guy had that Jerry curl hair. Yeah. Oh, the Jerry curl mullet. Oh, was that tasty? Yeah. Ah. Uh. Can we also talk about how impossibly thin Laura Dern is? Like, yeah, it's a little crazy. It's like, what? What? How? How it's is in, this? It's insane. How is this possible? Um. So yeah, it's just so funny to, to, to like talk about one of these like this the summer blockbuster and spend so much time talking about characters. Right. You don't do that anymore. No. Not with most. Uh, summer blockbusters. I mean, we've seen the last two Jurassic World movies, and I mean, aside from horrific stupidness that just makes you start laughing like a maniac. She was a clone, Erica. Did you get that, Bob? That's the funniest fucking thing, like clone. ever. I heard that, and it was like, it is time. <laughs> But it, it's just, and I've spoken with Sheila about this, because um, uh, we forced her to uh, watch a movie recently, which she's not really a movie person. Um, but she always says that characterization and shit suffers in movies just because you don't have time to develop the characters. It's true. It does. I mean, as compared to a book or a television show. But mm-hmm. to me, the really, really good movies manage to do it in a way that you know, ignites your passion for the characters and makes them stay with you. Mm-hmm. 
like how many summer blockbusters can you name where you can probably run through the entire character cast list and know all of the names of all of the characters? How many? No. Why do I know that that lawyer's name is Gennaro? I shouldn't why, know that. Why was there a, a, a restroom there? Those cars should never be stopped there that long. But they unlock. That's part of the hubris. Maybe if you got you got to go, you got to go, Bob. Great line. That, that whole those moments when they're in that car together outside the Tyrannosaur uh, paddock. <laughs> that's hysterical. I love that because it's just the the implication that he's been just sitting there talking the entire time, <laughs> and Grant's just been sitting there like shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up is wonderful. It's just little shit like that. What? Dr. Sadler, she's not like uh, <laughs> single. Why? <laughs> but I like that they don't dwell on that. It's said, it's done, oh, okay. Moved on. And we're moving on. Right. You married? Occasionally. I'm always on the lookout for a future ex, Mrs. Malcolm. <laughs> he's so perfect. He is. He's great. Wonderful. Um... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. There's other. There's so much here that's just like delightful. Well, you took some notes. I took some notes, and then it turns into like when we were watching Pacific Rim with Jack. I'm taking like copious notes, then I'm like, oh no, wait, giant robot monster fighting. I'm gonna set this down, <laughs> and now I'm gonna pay attention because that's the best thing ever. Well, by once you get to once you get to the T-Rex scene, from that point. You've gotten it's all of your characterizations, so and then we're off to the races. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So do we think that they they ran out of special effects money for the arm? Because the arm is the fakest thing to ever fake. Yes, it is. Even as a nine-year-old when I saw this movie, I was like, well, that's fake looking. <laughs> the dinosaurs look a lot better than that. Right. And of oh. course they would kill Samuel L. Jackson. Racist. Black guy. Ridiculous. <laughs> but I buy him as like this put upon coder. Mm-hmm. Especially when uh, uh, he's explaining what Nedry did. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what Laura Dern is like, well, how many lines of code are there? That just exasperated way he goes, about two million. <laughs> two million. Yeah. It's just like, oh, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's they don't dwell on it too much in the movie, which is kind of nice. But I mean, they they don't they talk about it more in the book, like how much, how to what lengths they went to automate things. Well, and they touch on it briefly. Yeah, and mostly with that that uh, scene with Nedry, where he's talking about how you know how highly automated everything is. Um, but in a movie like this, I, I think. This is one of the the best examples of adapting a book to a movie. Yes. Because it's like, it takes all of the, the good bits, at least the, the bits that would make for a good movie, mm-hmm. and refashions it into a good movie. Yes. It doesn't try to be the book, because at that point, it's like, what do we even, why? Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. I don't care. I mean, and I, I know that... I don't think in the book, Sadler and um, 
grant are together, right? I don't think so. She's like a grad student or something? Yeah, something like that. It's been a while. But even in this movie, they're not like... It's not how it is normally. Mm -hmm. Where it's all... Oh, like, making out and... We're having dates on a submarine for no reason. Um, Yeah. It's just kind of... Yeah, they're together, but it's not... I mean, the whole storyline with the kids is a driving force of the movie, but it's not in your face the entire time. Right. She's a very competent character in the movie in her own right. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate. Can we talk about how Jeff Goldblum saunters up to the, the, the dino droppings? Just genuinely just saunters. He's got the shirt down. His walk. It's a saunter. It's not a walk. He saunters up. He's so great. That is one big pile of shit. <laughs> you remember to wash your hands before you eat anything. The casting him as Ruxin's dad. Inspired. Because as soon as he, that door opens, you're like, oh, well, of course. Who else would you have cast? Like, did they, did, did they even, like, write an episode calling for Ruxin's dad? Or did someone, was someone like... Holy shit, Jeff Goldblum exists. That's that's what happened. We need we need to write him into the show. They got high and watched Jurassic Park one night and they were like, oh, We have to do this. That's how that happened. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's my headcanon. Oh man. <laughs> Lost World could have been so much better. Well, and I think it's 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 so hard. To make a sequel to something that is so perfect. Yes. You know, sometimes it's happened. And I'm I'm trying to... I mean, Aliens. Aliens, Empire. Well, Empire, it's part of a trilogy, so that's a little different. It's different rules. But normally, if you have a, a, a sequel or a... a initial movie that is the bastion of perfection mm-hmm. trying to stick the landing on a sequel is so fucking hard mm-hmm. because it's like okay people loved this movie so do we just continue doing more of the same do we twi- try and tweak the formula a little bit because you can't I mean you could just do the same movie again but that feels a little cheap Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of examples where that's happened. Um, but nothing is coming to me. But it, it is just, it's very, very difficult to live up to that promise as you move on. Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of interesting because usually sequels fall into one of two realms where either um, they are complete shit compared to the original or they're vastly superior to their original. Right. Well, the one thing, the one kind of genre of movie that I would move out of that sort of, oh, it's so hard to make a sequel that's better, is kind of the superhero genre. Because I think so many superhero movies, when they do their initial movie, they get bogged down in the origin story of it all. Mm-hmm. That then in the sequel, they're more free to just do whatever. You know? So that, it doesn't really apply there. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I'm thinking of like, um, Hellboy 2. Too. It is so much better than Hellboy. Well, the thing with that is, and Hellboy is a good movie. I enjoy Hellboy, but 
you you could see the studio's fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. We need generic white guy in here as our entry level as our entry character to introduce us to this very very weird world, so that the audience has a stand-in, which is pretty typical for something when you're doing sci-fi or mm-hmm. you know when you're doing weirdness of any kind. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, it was well, we did really well with the first one. So how about y'all? How about y'all vacate? Bounce, please. Mm-hmm. Guillermo got this. I love that second one. Oh, it's a great. The movie. Golden Army is awesome. Mm-hmm. You should see if that's in 4K. Yeah. Uh, we do have this sequel, the reboot with uh, David Harbour is coming out in like April. I'm intrigued. I'll go see it. But those first, those two Hellboy movies that Guillermo did are fucking great. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it, it'll be very hard, I think, to look at it as its own independent, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. Because David Harbour is just a fucking delight on Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are big shoes to fill. Yeah, um, it's it's gonna be very hard to see. I mean, what was so great about Ron Perlman and, you know, just having Guillermo was just the humor of the character. Mm -hmm. And um, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, But Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Um, The puppets in this movie. Oh, are perfect. They're outstanding. Beautiful. Um for one, they created like a freaking thirty foot tall T Rex. <laughs> like it's bonkers. But that's I've, what you like had to do before it was ju- you had to, and that's that's why movies suffer now, because it's all unless they they vary. Your it's a Fury Road situation where it's like no, we're going to do most of this practically. Everything we can do practically, we're going to do practically. It's it because you don't have to think about anything. Yeah. It's oh yeah, just whatever. We'll we'll slap something on and it'll be fine. No, you don't. There are precious few directors out there that truly understand the value of practical effects. Uh, Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, right. I mean, you look back to the. I mean, I still haven't seen Interstellar or anything, but you look back to the hallway in Inception mm-hmm. and how they were like, well, yeah, we could CG this. Or, or we could build a big hallway on a bunch of hydraulics and throw uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in there and try not to kill him. Or let's do, let's do that. We could CG a plane crash. Or or <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, I love the Bane voice and fuck everyone who doesn't. Oh. <laughs> Give it to you the people but you know in even the the only trouble with Spielberg is he definitely it he he if he if he had had the CG capabilities to do it at the time much more of this movie would have been CG probably yes because you look at something like Ready Player One right and um, you know you can't know that for sure, but kind of do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think 
Which is unfortunate because he was one of those guys where you look back at the shark in Jaws. Mm -hmm. It's this janky piece of shit and it's, okay, we got to film around it. Mm -hmm. We got to make it work because shit, we're on a deadline. So let's figure it out. It is so funny to hear, you know, like Spielberg talk about it. Like, and he fully admits that those limitations are why things got to be as good as they did. Well, in his earlier work. And what have we... We've talked about this before. I've talked about this as far back as when I was writing on the fucking wrestling blog. Art from adversity. Why do you think that first Star Wars movie is so good? Mm-hmm. New Hope is as good as it is because everything was fucked and they had to find a way to make it work. And we saw what happened when you give one person all of the control and all of the CG to just do whatever the fuck they want. Yep. High prequels. Gab. You garbage. No, you need you you need to be able to think critically about this stuff. Like even that T Rex scene, you don't see that puppet in that scene that much. Mm-hmm. They're clearly shooting around it because it was janky as fuck. So you can get a couple good like shots in there, but for the most part, there's not you're not seeing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But it still works. You know, it's interesting because. Um, the T-Rex is originally set up as the big bad. Right. But the real terror in the movie is the raptors. Right. And he does such a good job of building them up. Oh, yeah. To I make mean, them terrifying. That shot of... I mean, for you have... It's when you first meet Grant, when he's, like, scaring the shit out of shit-eating kid. Oh, shit-eating kid. I love that scene. It's so good. Here. Or here. Here. Or maybe across the belly, spilling your intestines. The point is, you are alive when they start to eat you. So, uh, try to show a little respect. Okay. Oh, it's the greatest! So you get that, and then you get when they're, uh, uh, in the, um, when the egg is hatching. And just the way they have him lit, and he's, like, staring, and it's... Oh, I'm sorry. You're you're breeding raptors? What the fuck? And then you even have Muldoon out there when they go to the paddock, and he's like... They should all be destroyed. Right. He's like, no, they're the... They brought in the big one, and she took over the pride, and, like, they're thinking, they're learning. They even show you that in the the very first scene when they're uh, loading the raptor in. Yep. When he's, she's like eating the shit out of the one worker and he's... There's so much in that scene that doesn't make any sense. No, but it's fine. Yep. But, and they're doing his eyes to her eyes because he's he's looked into the belly of the beast, you know? And it's there that that kind of idea of like maybe someday hunting them is implanted, you know? Which is great Mm because it's just such a little thing, but... Oh, loading team, step away. What what is so uh, they never cover it in the movie. But there's never a justification for keeping the raptors. I think it's one of those rule of cool things though. You know, we mm-hmm. we we were able to so we did. Yeah. I think it fits in with Oh yeah, it does. 
You know, um, it's you. You never stop to think if you if you should. Or wh- what's the line? How does he say it? Oh, it's um. You were so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you never stopped to think whether or not you should. There you go. Yeah, that's that's fully in line with with the the, the thesis statement of the movie. Mm-hmm. You mean they weren't just keeping around so that. Vincent D'Onofrio could weaponize them? No, the best is in that sequel when they're like, so you have a gun or or a, a device to aim at the thing you want to kill to point the dinosaur at. <laughs> <laughs> the fleshy dinosaur that does not have any kind of body armor. Sure. <laughs> You know what? Sure. Sure. <laughs> but that's one of those things where it's like, I mean, if you want to get crazy with it, get crazy with it. If you want to have this sinister auction where we're raffling off dinosaurs, lean in and let's go full on bonkers. It just can't be in this universe. No. No, it can't. It and, needs to be its own thing. And that, that's that's kind of the problem. But, you know, and that... that oh. That second Jurassic World movie, again... Which it, we did do an episode on. We did do an episode on. Again, it, it suffers from the complexity problem. You had two completely separate movies there. Now, granted, I think both are dumb as shit, but you had the evacuate the dinosaurs from the island movie because it's erupting. Which also doesn't make a lick of sense, but... Sure. And then you have the black market movie. Pick one. Pick. Go with one. Pick one. Child soldiers, possession. You got all kinds of shit you can pick from, guys. Fucking pick one. Just one. And I don't understand why they do it, because you would think they'd be like, oh, wait, 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 you get multiple movies out of it now? Hollywood loves that shit. Mm-hmm. But they're just cramming so much stuff into it. And, and I don't understand. I, uh, well, because movies have to be five hours long now. Nothing can be short. Everything has to be at least two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So you need a lot of shit to do. And they can't be bothered to think of plot points for one of their ideas, so they have to cram two together. It just boggles my mind because if you kept the story simpler, you could get so much more Here's the out other of thing, them. though. Here's the other thing I'll say. Which is part of the problem. If you do have a simple story, you have to put a lot of thought into your characters, into your backgrounds, into the plot points that are going to happen throughout the movie. You have to do a lot with the set dressing to make it good and interesting. Yes, you are correct. As I usually am. But if Tropic Thunder could do it, other movies can do it. Argue though, Tropic Thunder is a fairly straightforward story. It is. Well, that's my point. It was straightforward. It dumb as shit, but it's thought out. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's right. Well, I, I don't get your point there. Then you're basically just saying the same thing that I said. Yeah, I'm just using an example. Okay. But was the wrong word to use in there? Yeah. Yeah. And was probably. And was what I needed also, to go with. Yeah. 
No, but yeah, it's just if you keep your movie and simple is not a bad thing. I say this in regards to wrestling all the time too. Tell the simple story. Mm-hmm. What people there's nothing wrong with something being a little predictable. Mm-hmm. The second you put on any major summer blockbuster, you know that the good guys are going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And I want you all to know that I stopped myself from saying the movie I wanted to say there to just do it generically so I'm not always talking about it. I did that for you, Bob. And it hurt me physically. I want you to know that. But that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you have a Gundam statue. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> throw you over a console and start strangling you and it won't be the precursor's fault <laughs> I can make references from shitty movies too Bob hi guys I just destroyed your upstairs um uh, but no even in wrestling it's tell me the simple story uh, Daniel Bryan needs to win the title at Wrestlemania 30 if that doesn't happen what the fuck were we doing then? Mm-hmm. Things have to end. It's okay for a story to end. Yeah. Because have to keep going in perpetuity. I, and I mean, that's it, the weird thing. Like, unless you have a truly great premise. Um, Even then. You know, you still, you got to find a way to to keep it simple. Like, what's the most complicated movie you can think of that's truly great? Knock my microphone. I would have to give that a think. Like, probably I couldn't come up with one right now. Most complicated movie that's still good. My mind's veering into anime now. Because, I mean, there's there's movies that have lots of depth. That does not necessarily mean they're complicated. Right. Think Saving Private Ryan. Um, that movie has like an ocean's worth of depth to it. Can I throw a, can I throw a title out there for you? Yeah. Inception. Yeah. Though I would say I don't think Inception is nearly as complicated as most of the population seems to think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a heist movie. It's a dream heist movie. Mm-hmm. That is your premise. Yep. Now go hang your your window dressing. Mm-hmm. But I I think that's the point. The reason you can't think of complicated movies that are still good that are still good is because they don't exist. Right. No. You. It needs to stay. It needs to be simple. And again, there's nothing wrong with being simple. You just give me cool perif characters. Uh, great movie. Wally. Very simple. simple. Very simple premise. Mm-hmm. But and it's the thing you're you're limited by your medium, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, if you really want, de- uh, de- you know, really complex stories um, that can touch on lots of things, you need to go to television or l- literature because mm-hmm. you just don't have the time no. to develop it in a movie. You don't. You really you you just don't. The closest thing you get. Is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is what eighteen freaking movies now? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an argument to be made there, but even there, though, I think as you jump between directors, 
The Thor of the first two Thor movies is not the Thor of the third Thor movie. No. And that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. But there isn't really... I, I think there's a narrative consistency to a point. Mm-hmm. But you're still getting... There, there's different shit in there, depending on who the director is and what kind of the tone is for the movie that they're they're mm-hmm. they're doing, you know. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to the Marvel Universe looking for, you know. Uh, I just want, you know, stop no homoing my boys. You don't go through all that bullshit for somebody you don't love, Bob. That's all I'm saying. Just saying, it was the end of the world. He had nothing else to lose. Same. What? Hmm? It's the end of the world. He had nothing else to lose. Oh, you're talking about Captain America. I am talking about Bucky Barnes and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What do you think I was talking about? I thought you were talking about Herman uh, drifting. Oh, I wasn't actually. Do you want to fight about that too? Because we can. <laughs> I subscribe to the theory that they didn't fall in love, or they were kind of like pining for each other, but they weren't like, they, they kind of realized with the drift their feelings, so then after the movie is when shit happens. We could talk about this for hours if you want. You didn't let me do it on the Pacific Rim episode, no. which I didn't appreciate at all, but I can, I can, go, I can do a deep dive with you, Bob, if, you, if you'd appreciate it. One thing we haven't talked about in Jurassic Park. <laughs> you brought it up that time. You did. That was your fault. One thing we have not talked about in Jurassic Park yet um, and is arguably the most important thing in this movie to me is... The Barbasol can? The music. Oh, yeah. The music's great. It is one of the most iconic theme songs in movies. Oh, definitely. Like, just bar none. Yeah. No, you hear that, and at least, I mean, to us, you know, but it's, yeah, you hear those opening bars, and you're, you're transported away, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, I mean, the older I get, the more it's, it's, you hear the John Williams of it all, mm-hmm. because you've heard him in fucking everything, mm-hmm. but the, the main theme is outstanding, mm-hmm. and it's used very well throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. No, it it hits in all the right places. Uh, well, yeah. the movie knows when to be quiet too, because mm-hmm. you really that in the initial part of that raptors in the kitchen scene, you don't have a score behind it. Mm-hmm. You don't need one. What's interesting is the score for the movie is literally just the one song with different pacing in different places and. That's what they did in the second one, too. They just added bongos. Bongos? It's the truth. You got a lot of bongos in that that score for the second one. <laughs> you know what part of the, the, the second yes, movie love. Yes. just drives me nuts? Is What's that? When they're, when they're on the boat and they're, taking, they're on their way to the island and... There's that moment where Vince Vaughn is talking to them because he speaks uh, presumably Spanish in Costa Rica. I don't know. Um, uh, he's translating. He's like, oh, whatever the name of the... Cinco Muertas. 
and he looks, he looks at the camera. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we got it. We got it. I got it. Got it. Got it. Thanks. There's this Thank thing you. called contacts. Yeah, I got it. Well, they don't do that to you in this movie. When they're in the amber mine at the beginning, mm-hmm. they don't translate any of that shit. Nope. And you don't need to. I believe that gentleman was also on a few episodes of Seinfeld. Probably. <laughs> Can we talk about um, Gennaro's suit? With the shorts. I'm thinking of the one. Or his gigantic 90s suit. Yeah. That does it's not like fit him properly at all. So big. Just so ridiculously big. It's a dear leader suit. Not properly tailored at all. It's great. You know, everyone claimed that uh, LeBron was making a huge fashion statement um, with his suit shorts, but the 90s... uh, Oh, the 90s were already there. The 90s beat him. We were there. It's all cyclical, Bob. It's all coming back. It all comes back around. No, LeBron. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we pretty much touched... I, I don't think there's too much more to say unless you got something no i think we really covered um everything that i kind of wrote down most of it at least most of it most of it most how much of how much of what we wrote down was actually directly from the movie it was there's a lot there's just a few things I didn't want to forget about my super really good Jurassic Park AU idea for Pacific Rim. <laughs> and then I wrote down that Herman and Alan would have been besties because they're both surly assholes. And that Newton and Ian would have been buddies too because they're essentially the same character. Glasses, leather jacket, big stupid ring, floofy hair, cute faces. <laughs> Just saying. You know I'm right. Just say that I'm right. You know I'm right. Waiting for it. Yes, sir. (laughs) (sighs) I am the one thing in life I can't control. So, Uh, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, as always, for joining us here on After the Movie. We would ask that you go and check out uh, Team Puma Knife's battery of other podcasts on our website, teampumaknife.com. We have uh, the back catalog of After the Movies. We have Subtle Interference. Oof, I wrote that. Uh, Improvised Weapons, our real play D&D podcast. And we have a uh, we have a date for Game of Thrones. So Beyond the Red Waste will be coming back with some got chat. Which uh, has been lacking. What, what am I looking at here? Bob is showing me stuff as I'm stopping. <laughs> as I'm trying to uh, close out the show here because he's a dick bag. But uh, yes, please. Somebody go. just sent that to me. Did they really? Yeah. Was it the captain? Of course it was. Okay, he knows. It's like he knows. Uh, so again, folks, thank you for joining, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Bye. This has been a Puma Knife production.